Your Newcastle. Welcome to Your Newcastle, Season 2. Today we have a wonderful Novocastrian, a former Woman of the Year, Mel Histon. She is the founder and managing director of Got Your Back Sister. Welcome, Mel. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. It's an absolute pleasure. We have partnered with your charity at the City of Newcastle a number of years ago. You're actually one of our foundation charity partners at the City of Newcastle. It was wonderful to actually partner with you, particularly for our inaugural Supercars event as our foundation charity partner. The lead up to that was it was being held on White Ribbon Day. Yeah. And you'd been doing some wonderful work in your charity in Newcastle. Tell us a little bit more about that journey to being a founder of Got Your Back Sister and then also the work you're doing, particularly with your domestic violence or anti-domestic violence campaign. Yeah, sure. Look, it has been a really crazy ride starting the charity and even the five years since we've been operating since I founded it back in 2016. The story goes that I helped went to Nepal and helped to make a documentary about the sex trafficking of Nepali women and children. I was the still photographer on that trip and heard a lot of terrible stories of women and girls who had been trafficked in the abuse that they had experienced. You know, and and after hearing those stories for a few weeks, travelling around rural and remote Nepal, I came back to our beautiful city and felt really compelled to do something. I I really felt that there was a, a divine bigger reason that I had managed to go on that trip and I felt really blessed that we live in a wonderful city and we live in a wonderful country and I really believe that because I saw being in Nepal and I've been to many third world countries where they don't have welfare they don't have social systems so if you are trafficked or abused or are in poverty they don't have the systems there to actually help and support those people and you know coming back to where we live in the city of Newcastle I felt incredibly blessed that I was born in Australia that I live here now I'd managed to get through breast cancer and really felt that I was in a place in my life where I really wanted to give back and spoke to my husband about that he didn't really understand that he was kind of like why would you want to go and start a charity and why would you even want to do that like he has he's all about business but when I explained to him I'm like do you know how lucky we are like seriously compared to people around the world and some people in our own community we've been very fortunate and especially I really feel that coming getting over the breast cancer I felt like I was given a second chance and so when I looked in our own community I did see that there are women that are experiencing abuse here and after going and and connecting with different uh, organisations in the DV sector in our city, you know, I kind of, I was like going, what are the gaps? Well, the immediate gaps are providing furniture and household items to women that are getting out of a refuge or out of a violent home so that they can start their lives again. So that was kind of like the first thing that that happened I'm like okay well I got some really great advice uh, legal and and accounting advice registered the charity and then held a fundraiser raised $15,000 and that was the beginning of got you back sister it's a wonderful journey having lived in Newcastle most of my life I think I had the good fortune of attending some functions where many years ago you were actually speaking, and I don't think I knew you uh, personally, but you were speaking about your journey just in yourself and how you dealt with having breast cancer, the treatment, 
the impact on your family and children and getting over that. And I was very impressed at the time. I don't know if I've ever mentioned that to you. You haven't. And now you probably know me a little bit more. I don't know if you would still be impressed. Oh, I'm, I'm even more impressed, Mel. The passion in which you talk about your work and the way that you have elevated the conversation and really joined with other service providers and other leaders in this sector, namely Kelly, uh, Nova for Women and Children, and the partnerships that we're developing uh, here in Newcastle to actually tackle what are quite big social issues and absolutely need a voice. You have been very good at providing that voice. That's what I've noticed in the work that you're doing and bringing people together. And I think it's interesting that the trip to Nepal and being exposed to what could only be described as really atrocities. Yeah, horrendous abuse. Horrendous. Yep. Really sparked you to come back and work here in your local community, improving lives of, in particular, women and children. You do some really interesting work. What is a day in the life of Mel Histon as a founder and managing director of a charity that is dealing with you know really tough social issues? Yeah, look, we are a small charity. We run on the smell of an oily rag. And so because we're a small team, I say we're a small charity and we're, we're a small team with a very big voice. And because we are a small team, we literally are running constantly. And so I would say that a day in the life is different every day in that it's anything from planning programs to meeting potential program facilitators, going and meeting with different organisations, RTOs who may look to deliver a program like TAFE or the Central Coast Community College, is going and chatting with wonderful community groups who want to make a donation to us or actually just want to find out more about what we're doing and how they can come on board. We have an op shop, so I try every week to to go and pop into the op shop and make sure that the volunteers there feel that they're appreciated and loved. Organising fundraising events, we have the wonderful Pre Watson who certainly does the bulk of that now, but, uh, you know, it's we're a small team, so we all need to chip in. There's so much to do. and But one of the biggest things that I believe is really important, and we're constantly trying to think of new ways to do this, is our community care campaigning and actually spreading that message to the community that domestic violence isn't okay, it's not acceptable, and it's okay for people to reach out and ask for help. And I think that's one thing that I feel that we've done well at Got Your Back Sister is that, you know, once upon a time, people weren't talking about domestic violence. It was a really taboo subject. There's so much guilt and shame for people who either have perpetrated or have experienced domestic violence. There's so much guilt and shame that people don't want to talk about it. You know, I remember my granny talking to me about her sister and her bugger of a husband, Robbie, you know, who who was abusive to her sister and nobody did anything and the police wouldn't do anything because it was like what happens behind closed doors stays behind closed doors. And so I think one thing that we really strive to do, and I know the board feels is really important, is that we keep coming up with new and inventive ways to engage community, to make a stand and go, actually, as a community, we stand against domestic violence. And the more we talk about it, and the more we do our runs or partner with the Knights or do those community activations, we make videos with the city of Newcastle, the more it exposes people to the whole concept that 
abuse is not okay. What's happening in your Newcastle? Subscribe to our mailing list at newcastle.nsw.gov.au. It has really raised the awareness in our local community and that is why we sought to seek out a foundation partnership with Got Your Back Sister because we could see the important awareness raising uh, that you were doing and your team, which is an amazing team of women. Every time I come and join one of your events or one of your activations, it runs so seamlessly with a, a real mixture of people just dedicated to the cause and volunteering their time. And that is a wonderful thing about volunteering and charity work. Can I, can I just say quickly, it's really interesting because once upon a time, I never would have ever thought that I would volunteer for anything it was just never on my radar and now I would say it's one of my greatest joys like it really fills your soul when I mm-hmm. speak to volunteers in all different capacities because we work with over 500 volunteers at council it might be people might go and volunteer with um, our charity partners like got your back sister or they will be volunteering at our libraries in terms of reading programs or volunteering at black Bart. Um, we have a wonderful team of volunteers called new crew that actually volunteer their time when we have events to help show people around or give them directions. I like that new crew. That sounds great. Yeah. I want to be a part of that. Yeah. <laughs> they're a lovely group of people. Yeah. And obviously, you know, sometimes when there hasn't been a lot of events on, it's been a quiet time. But when we do have any type of event or activation in the city, you'll often ha- will often have the new crew volunteers and they're all trained and insured and the, and the like. And they work with particularly our city venues. In, yeah. And it's wonderful because they're often Nova Cash students that now have time to give back. So, yeah, I I get the good fortune in my role of seeing a lot of the volunteers throughout the city and it it is amazing. And the work that you're doing and the work that you have started and the partnerships that are being formed, the awareness raising, it is wonderful to see the activations like at the nights, like the event we do at supercars that often raises significant funds for the charity yeah how hard is it to do that fundraising work and do the awareness raising at the same time because you've described an exceptionally busy day to day to keep it all going for a very small charity doing very important work yeah look i have a lot of sleepless nights i'll be honest with you (gasps) i have i believe you i have a lot of sleepless nights and i'm like often awake at two in the morning just with my head ticking over going right I've got to do this got to do that got to do that got to do that the good thing is is that I have a business degree and have worked in marketing and communications for a lot of my working life so for me putting on events and doing communications which is what we're doing you know yes. doing community campaigns is communicating and so because I have a background in that that has been I wouldn't say it's easy but it's something I understand you know it's so wonderful and and you need a team of people whether it's volunteers or now we have a few a very small team of staff but when you have people come along with you it makes everything so much easier but I have probably have had I've been fortunate that I I have had that background in actually understanding, okay, well, we need to engage community to get our message out there. But certainly it's been a lot of hard work and a lot of sleepless nights and a very understanding husband. (laughs) That's Craig. That's Craig. And he's really great because sometimes... 
I'll just be like, something will be weighing on my mind and I'm not sure which way to go. And he's great. I'll, I'll stew about it for a week and I'll like, be like, love, I really need to talk. I really need your advice around this. And I go, it's so interesting because he'll come up with often a quite a wonderful logical solution. Whereas I've been sitting and churning on something like not, not really sure which way to go. Yeah. He works in IT. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and in the business world. So it's probably great to have a sounding board like him supporting you because I think what would be interesting listening to you and this podcast people uh, particularly from Newcastle would see the work that you do the awareness raising about domestic violence the partnerships the community activation the journey that you've really been on over the last few years but understanding what sits behind Mel Histon and that amazing <laughs> work is uh, Cray, four children, two dogs. Yeah, two crazy <laughs> dogs, Carlos and JD. Yeah, and do you know what? Some really loyal friends, mm. really. It's it's loyal friends and, and, yeah, hubby and family that really – help keep it all going they really do and and you know there's that famous saying what is that man is not an island and I go I say that quite often to myself because I like we can't do it all alone and I've really learned that really it's the wonderful support of people around you and I go I'm really grateful my hubby is really wonderful and supportive and yeah our kids our kids that they've kind of marched the field on the nights with us a number of times when we've done that and but it really has been some really great loyal friends really wonderful organizations like the city of Newcastle you know I'm really grateful for that partnership because there have been many a time where even I've needed advice to go I don't know you know, can I do this or who should I talk to about that? You know, and, and and it's wonderful to have the endorsement of our city. We can't do it alone. None of us can. Yeah, it's, it's a good motto. <laughs> I think yeah. it's, it's the same for, for most roles, but people that might be wondering how charities work, you know, should I donate, should I volunteer my time? Yeah. You know, part of the rationale for wanting to, for us to partner was really the fact that this charity was doing really good work and partnering with other organisations, particularly service providers in this yeah, area, yeah. that really at the coalface of having to deal with those issues. And you're doing a lot of connecting work in the community, talking to the right people, awareness raising, connecting schools with the right programs. And some of those programs that are running through schools, I think the good thing about them, if they work, yeah. you'll never know about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? I really see work in schools as being a really key way forward in terms of tackling the issue of domestic abuse because we need to educate our kids around what domestic abuse looks like. It's, you know, some people still don't know or understand what that is, um, whether it's emotional, physical, psychological, sexual, financial abuse, controlling behaviour, coercive control, all of that. Many people still don't understand what that is. I was speaking to a woman recently and she shared with me that she had just gotten out of, uh, out of an abusive relationship and it wasn't until she went and saw a counsellor and the counsellor said to her, do you realise you're in an abusive relationship? And he had her convinced that she was crazy. Wow. That he was gaslighting her, which is a, a, a coercive controlling technique. He had her convinced that she was crazy and that she had a psychological disorder. So she went to see a psychiatrist. And after four sessions with the psychiatrist, the psychiatrist went, 
there's nothing wrong with you. You're just in a really toxic relationship. You need to end it. <laughs> did she end it? <laughs> she did end it. That's good because sometimes that's very difficult when you are, in yeah. the, from what I understand. Your Newcastle is changing daily and we care about you. Have your say at newcastle.nsw.gov.au. People have hmm. this a more open discussion. I think it started a, a lot with Rose Batty yeah. being named Australian of the Year and then local charities like your own, Mel, took up that local discussion and that awareness raising. But there has been a new wave of discussion, which I think is really important, yeah. around coercive control, even you know debated in the New South Wales Parliament. Yeah. Maybe just unpack a little bit of what that means. Yeah. So... Controlling and bullying behaviour is is an element of domestic abuse, a type of domestic abuse. So coercive control, you know, it's that term coercive. It happens in a way that's quite undermining and all, and I, I think quite sinister because the person who's experiencing it doesn't see realise straight away what it is. It's like the slippery slope. So it might be quite often a relationship will start and everything's rosy and everything's great. And, you know, I I think you're the best thing that's happened to me. I love you dearly. But then after a while, the perpetrator, I say perpetrator, but the abusive partner, the, the controlling, coercively controlling partner, will just start to chip away at that person. It'd be little things at first, but it's at the end of the day, it's all about controlling and manipulating that person. So it might be commenting about what they're wearing to, and then to a point where they're like, actually, no, you can't wear that. You know, I don't want you to wear that. Or it might be sending like text bombing, so sending texts, you know, I know somebody who was getting 60 texts a day from their partner, wanting to know where they are, what they're doing, who they're with. Um, and, you know, that's that's not normal. That's not normal for a partner to bomb someone so much with texts. And then, that, then the person that's experiencing that, um, you know, all of a sudden they're having to justify who they are, what they're, you know, who they're with, what they're doing. And that's a coercive form of control. And, usually the coercive controlling behaviour elevates. So it becomes worse and worse and worse. So it was funny. I was talking to a caseworker recently and she was telling me about this form of coercive control. One of her clients came home and there was no hot water. And so her partner was like, you didn't pay the hot water bill. So now look, we've got no hot water. And, And this woman was like, no, I'm sure I've paid the water bill. I'm sure I've paid the water bill. I, I remember paying it. He's like, no, you obviously didn't. You didn't pay the water bill. So for a few days, they had no hot water. So they were boiling the kettle, putting that in the bath, they washed the kids, God. all of that stuff. And so, you know, she's trying to get in contact with the hot water company. Anyway, she came home, say, three days later, and all of a sudden the hot water was there and she was like, was on. And she's like, oh, well, the, we, the hot water was turned back on. And he went, oh, I fooled you. No, I actually turned the hot water off a few days ago. I was just tricking you. That's weird. That's weird. That's coercive control. That's he, he made. Why would you do that? Because that's what abusers, some abusers do. For the, him, he's like chastised her, oh made her goodness. think that she's crazy, made her feel bad about herself as a mother and a, and a, and a wife that she may not have paid the bill. So, oh you know, goodness. all these little things that he did to undermine her and it's just manipulation. And then, you know, made out that it was a joke and, oh, you know, what would you be upset about? And you go, that's freaking crazy behaviour. 
But that's coer- that's a form of coercive control and gaslighting. So it's that slow chip away that mm. that woman or man, because women can be coercive controllers as well, mm. that they start to question themselves, that they start to lose their sense of self-worth. And, you know, the worst case of it is that a woman starts to, or, or man starts to feel really, really bad about themselves to the point that it really affects their confidence, self-esteem and their mental health. Yeah, that sounds... Yeah like just one example that I find quite shocking yeah because there's no actual point to it like it's just control yeah it's coercive control yeah yeah and so everyone in that situation needs a lot of help absolutely and you imagine if that's just one example but if that went that sort of behavior went on in the relationship that poor woman will be like a bunch of nerves yeah living with that all the time questioning is this right you know, am am I at fault? Have I done the wrong thing? All of that, you know, and that's that's not living your best happy life. No, it's not. It's It's your Newcastle. Access all our services and resources at newcastle.nsw.gov.au. I'm interested just in your own opinion that with awareness raising, even with this year's Australian of the Year, Grace Tame, I think she's doing amazing work really talking about the child sexual abuse abuse issues and very openly and obviously there is has been a royal commission with um quite significant findings i hope they're all actually implemented yeah there's been broad discussion in our national parliament some time ago that's ongoing around those issues there are quite shocking statistics almost one in five australian women have experienced sexual violence since the age of 15 yeah and that is a shocking statistic, isn't it? It is. Yeah. And I see the more that we're talking about these issues, which there is an interrelationship yeah. between domestic violence, family violence, coercive control. Yeah, and, and at the moment, and this is a great thing that the media are doing, is highlighting, is that whole issue of consent. There's a lot... There's a lot of confusion around what consent looks like. And we certainly have seen, you know, in the case of Brittany Higgins, um, you know, and, and other cases that have come forth in the media of sexual assault or cases in the media of alleged sexual assault, that the whole issue of consent has really come up as an issue that now, you know, it's being debated again in the government is my understanding. They're talking about consent laws and what does consent look like? You know, once upon a time, it was kind of believed unless a woman went, no, 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 that she was consenting. Whereas now people are going, well, that's not good enough to actually truly consent. You can't be drunk. How can you give consent when you're drunk? Or if you passed out to give consent, you actually have to go, yeah, it's a hell yeah, I'm into this. So I know that in the Love Bites program that got you back sister and other organisations deliver in schools, that that's a really key component of that course is teaching teens and also adults need to know about about consent and what does consent look like so you know we say to anybody you know unless it's a hell what is it unless it's a hell yes it's a hell no yes yeah I think that's a really healthy place to start we're probably around a similar age mid-40s and I would say that conversation would be very relevant in those years. My friends and I, who I went to school with, it we all went to Newcastle High, and they've all everyone's gone off and had jobs in different areas. Mostly, a lot of my close friends from school are in allied health professionals, yep. so they work in areas you know associated to health and. Uh, whether they're psychologists or some of them work in very tricky areas in criminal justice and the like. We had a broad discussion in recent months about this and what it, what how different it is now. 
Absolutely. It's so different from when I was in high school. And how important these conversations are. Yeah. And then, you know, some of my friends reflected on, oh, my goodness, they could actually name times and repeated back to all of us of times when they thought, I don't think I gave consent. Yeah. This is what happened. And I don't think I gave consent here. But at that time, at that time, the shame was on them. Oh, do you know what? Yeah. Absolutely. Women were, am I allowed to say this? Women would, and girl, teenage girls were totally slut-shamed. Yes. So it was like totally dismissed. Yes. And they were reflecting to all of us as a group. I was there and I was sitting there thinking, my goodness, I you know, knew them at this age and had no idea, even as they got older, that some of these things had happened because they were basically silenced, but it was culturally silenced. And you weren't – no one talked about it because it was always potentially the victim's fault. Well, how did you get yourself into that situation? Oh, what were you wearing? Absolutely. And I think that that is changing definitely now through – again, I'm going to say through the media and online media, social media, and younger women, younger people having a voice and starting to use their voice and go, hang on, just because I wear a short skirt, doesn't mean that I'm fair game for any bloke to come along and have his way with me. Yeah, Mm, absolutely. Which is probably the upside, I guess, of social media and stuff in these days that it is giving a voice to younger people. Yeah, I think it's a really important voice for younger people, younger women who have seen this behaviour and say, well, we don't accept it. And actually for us as a society to be raising up the voices of people like Rose Batty, Grace Tame onto a national stage to actually not only share their experiences but advocate for legislative change. And that's a really important process as I see it. And And I hope that as younger generations come through that they get to do your program (laughs) through the schools. And I also hope that um, we do see that cultural change. Do you know absolutely? And I again coming back to the schools. I think the schools program and Love Bites is what is delivered nationally. And so, got your back, sister. We have a number of our team that are trained to deliver Love Bites, and it's really important because it actually goes through what. Uh, what does a healthy relationship look like? What does an unhealthy relationship look like? And what are the red flags to look out for? for a potentially abusive relationship because those red flags are quite often not what you think that they would be. For example, if you start dating somebody and they are constantly texting you, wanting to know where you are, and it's just, you know, I think you're so great and I love you so much. I'm just checking in. I really miss you. You know, it's very easy, especially for younger people to go, oh, they just loves me so much and yeah. go, actually, do you know what? That's not normal. It's And actually, it is a red flag for a potentially abusive relationship down the track. Well, how would you know? If you're yeah. like, you know, people start considering relationships, you know, in the teen years, into their 20s, you know, everyone's yeah. different. And if you've never been in a relationship before, yeah. how would you know? You don't know. It's the same as like, if you don't know how to do algebra before you go to school, it's all of, you know, looking at our education yep. of young people in a much more holistic way and saying, look, as a society, we are not doing all of these things very well and the only way to fix it is really with that generational change and through education. Absolutely and at the moment it's up to the schools to decide if they want to engage an organisation to come and run Love Bites but I know that there are certainly calls for it to become part of the curriculum and I would agree with that. 
because I, I think, you know, back in our day in high school, you know, you might have had a bit of sex education, but certainly there was no talk about healthy, unhealthy relationships or consent, that sort of thing. It was more around, okay, so this is what an STD is. This is how you get it. This is what you need to do. All the, yeah. <laughs> all that sort of thing. Yeah, I think it's really important for us to be educating our younger people before they get into violent relationships. Yeah, and it, actually, any relationships, not violent yeah. ones, any relationships. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it goes to emotional intelligence. Yeah, and if you don't know what healthy looks like, whether it could be from your own childhood experiences or just wasn't modelled or you didn't have the opportunity to see it, at least yeah. you can get it through the education system. And mm-hmm. forewarned is forearmed, isn't it? Absolutely. Every, everything in life. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And hopefully people listening will go, hmm, I might talk to Mel Histon <laughs> if I'm going to set up a charity for any purpose. Yes. So I know the ins and outs the, of how to do that. Yes, there's a lot of ins and outs. And you've got to do it the right way. I've learned the hard No, I learned the I, – I know other people have learned the hard way that if they don't set up a charity the right way, you can be stuffed. I was lucky I got great advice and set it up the right way. You did get very good advice uh, from memory. Yes. Right here in Newcastle from a wonderful accountant. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Thank you, Mel Hamilton. (laughs) Mel Hamilton, a shout out to you. Yep. Thank you so much for joining your Newcastle podcast today. It's been wonderful talking to uh, Newcastle Woman of the Year, founder and managing director (laughs) of Got Your Back Sister, Mel Histon. Thank you so much for having me. It's awesome. That's your Newcastle. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review us wherever you listen. 